Good morning, NFL fans, and welcome to another edition of Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. Plenty of NFL news to go over again this week. Some of the same topics with the different variations, and uh, actually we're going to go over a lot of the the worser teams, if that's a word, Um, some of the uh, not not as good teams uh, in the NFL uh, this week. So uh, if your team is towards the bottom of the barrel, in the NFL, uh, stay tuned. We might be talking about you. Um, but to start off, once again, Aaron Hernandez dominating the news uh, in the sporting world, uh, at least in the NFL world. Um, and the justice uh, over the weekend, um, the new angle about uh, Ohio State coach, former Florida football coach Urban Meyer, has come out, and uh, some of the blame about uh, Aaron Hernandez and his. Um, downfall in his life, some of that blame being placed on uh, Hernandez's college coach, former college coach, uh, Urban Meyer, who coached Hernandez from 2007-2009 at the University of Florida. Now, um, Urban Meyer, I think my first reaction to to the, the claims that Meyer had some impact or negative impact or didn't have a positive impact on uh, Hernandez's life as his college head coach, my first reaction was Meyer before 2009, before he left Florida really, was such I, – I, I feel like maybe I'm completely wrong, but I felt like Florida and Urban Meyer with Tim Tebow, they were such a well-liked group of people and that was kind of rare at that point in time. In college football, you know, you had uh, Pete Carroll, who was, you know, somewhat well liked at uh, the University of Southern Cal, um, and he had quarterbacks that you kind of liked, and they were a dominant team. Um, you had Ohio State, who was good, but Jim Trussell, you know, wasn't a, exactly a hot, thr- a heart throbber. Um, and then it turned out, you know, the whole scandal with him, uh, whether you. Uh, Wherever you fall with that one, um, Jim Trestle ended up getting fired. Um, so I, I just felt like Florida, uh, maybe maybe it was mostly Tim Tebow, but they were a well-liked um, school, uh, well-liked program, um, and that, that really dominated. And uh, Urban Meyer was the head of that. He ran that team. And now I find it somewhat ironic or somewhat um i guess ironic is the is the right word just to say that all this stuff about urban meyer and um how how uh, intense he is um how hard he is on his players and now how much he really doesn't care it seems about um his players as people all he really cares about is winning and obviously winning is very very important at any level um, especially when you get to the collegiate and professional level. But there is some duty for a college coach to teach young men um, responsibility, to teach them how to be a young man and how to be 
um, a better person. And I think that's, that's really what college in general is all about. And as an athlete, many people don't realize as a college athlete, that is your job. That is your job while you go to college. You don't have time. I mean, a lot of people get upset when when these athletes get uh, scholarship money and such. And I'm not going to get into that debate. But I will say, athletes don't have time to have a job. They literally they they have enough time to be an athlete and to work out and be as good as they can in their sport and go to school. It's even hard for them to have a social life. And your social life ends up being your football team. So I think in many ways, my my argument for that, uh, how it comes back and is relevant, is Urban Meyer and the football team has such, you know, any football coach actually, not just Urban Meyer, is going to have a huge impact, obviously, on young men's life. And this goes for any sport, not just football and not just you know, basketball, the sports that the two sports that um, a majority of Americans watch or the, the most popular collegiate sports. Um, but it's true in volleyball. It's true in field hockey. Uh, it's true in swimming. All of these sports, um, the coaches have such a huge impact on um, a person's life. And I, I, I know that from firsthand, not from college sports, but from high school sports. And I, I, and I bet you're around a, a college sport about three to five times as much per week, um, three, three to five times more per week than a high school coach. So it, it, they have that much more time to have a, an impact on them. So Urban Meyer, I understand, I, if I were him, I wouldn't have said anything. I don't think him coming out and defending himself, I think actually opens him up to more scrutiny. I don't know if we'd be talking about him on uh, our show right now if he didn't come out and said what he said. And by the way, what he said was, you know, he, he said the regular PR stuff about his thoughts and prayers with the family and friends of the victim. But um, he did come back and say that he had a friend that notified him about um, an accusation of multiple failed drug tests by Hernandez that were covered up by the University of Florida or the coaching staff. And, and Meyer came out and denied those claims and uh, came out and, and basically said, um, according to ESPN and their headlines, that um, any blame that is placed on Florida or him for uh, the Aaron Hernandez uh, murder or, or the, the scandal, I guess, is the whatever word you want to want to say about the, the the crime that was committed just a few weeks ago, um, any of that blame placed on Florida or Urban Meyer, Urban Meyer is irresponsible and unjust. Um, and sorry, Meyer, but I, I'm going to have to disagree. Um, I'm guessing Meyer's not listening to our show, but um, I I just don't think for for everything that I just said in the first five minutes of our show how a, a college coach has such a huge impact. I'm not going to blame him. I'm not going to say it's his fault. Okay. So uh, Urban Meyer, it's not your fault specifically, but could you have had an impact? Could you have changed Aaron Hernandez's life? Maybe, maybe. I I mean, I don't know. It's it's not really my place to, to make such claims, 
But since I'm the bozo with the podcast, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say yes. Yes, he could have made a difference in Hernandez's life. We're gonna take a quick break, and we're gonna come back with some more news from the NFL. When some loud bragger tries to put me down and says this school is great, I tell him right away, now what's the matter, buddy? Ain't you heard of my school? It's number one in the state. Hey, hey, take it away. Get so that your school. Welcome back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. Your host, Dave Holcomb. Don't forget, you can reach me on Twitter, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B. And you can email me, DM, excuse me, I have a new email, HolcombMDavid at gmail.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, search Dave's Football News. I'd like to say thank you so much to our listeners out there. Last week's show hit a record uh, of views, over 600 so far. Um, That is by far and away the most clicked on um, podcast in our 35-episode uh, uh, show. Uh, this is now the third episode of the second season, so this is episode 36, and we hope to continue to uh, increase the viewership uh, to over 600 for this episode. So uh, thank you so much. Already we have close to 1,000 in just two episodes. I'm sure we'll get over 1,000 in this third one, and it took us close to nine or 10 episodes to get 1,000 uh, last year. So where the the show is just really taking off. I'm really happy with it. So thank you so much for listening and continue to listen. We're going to go into uh, some of the worser teams. I'm trying to be nice to the to the fans of the Jaguars and the Rams and the Browns, and we're we're actually going to talk about the Jaguars and and Rams in this segment. Um, starting off with Justin Blackman. Um, I don't know if it was because I was out of the country for a month or what, but I completely missed that this guy got suspended for uh, an illegal substance. He's out for the first four games in case anybody else missed it as well. Um, but uh, also, the, the, over the last week or so, um, I'll get to why I have to say or so, um, the wide receiver underwent groin surgery uh, to repair an injury that he apparently suffered in minicamp. Um, strangely enough, every article that I've read about this, um, the date of the surgery is unknown. That, that just kind of seems really weird to me why, uh, the Jaguars or any other source, um, from the team hasn't been able to find out exactly what day he had the surgery, but I guess it doesn't really matter. Um, they expect that he will be back and ready for training camp, which, believe it or not, is less than three weeks away. Um, the Jaguars start their training camp. Well, players report on the 25th of July, and workouts start the following day. Um, and Blackman can't play um, in the first four games of the season anyway because of his uh, violation. So um, they're just hoping that the the groin is is healthy enough to just practice with the first team and, and play in the preseason games, which he's actually allowed to do. Um, but then um, receiver Muhammad Mas, Masuki, if that's how you say his name, uh, he used to play for the Browns. I, I really just remember him for getting his head taken off by James Harrison, which started all of the outcry for um, you know the suspensions and, and such on uh, 
the, the not just the Steelers, but all all teams across um, the NFL and the fines, of course, as well. And back in uh, 2010, all that came about during that season. Um, but that's kind of what that receiver for me is known for. But anyway, he's he's filling in for Blackman in the first month of the season as uh, the number one guy. And transitioning a little bit to the Jaguars overall and Blackman, um, the Jaguars have a new head coach this season. Uh, they hired. They have, also have a new GM. The new GM, David Cadwell, hired um, the Seahawks defensive coordinator, Gus Bradley, to be the new head coach. And interesting enough, he of the eight new head coaches in the NFL this coming season, Bradley is the only one with the defensive background. So I, I think that's just... An inter- you know, maybe it's just a coincidence, but I think that is interesting in how much offense is emphasized in today's NFL, and seven of the eight new head coaches that were hired um, all have uh, offensive an offensive background. So all those teams, maybe it was just because those teams have really bad offenses, but Jaguars certainly have a bad offense, I think, and uh, they went defensively. So um, for them, I think they're hoping that Bradley, who, who brought a physical toughness to the Seahawks and their defense. I think he's hoping the the, the Jaguars are hoping they that Bradley brings the same thing to Jacksonville. Although they need some toughness on offense. Well, they they need a, a steady quarterback, Blaine Gabbard. It, it could be a make or break season for him. Um and he hasn't been helped much by the fact that now he's under a third regime, a third head coach. So, well We'll see how it goes with him and and Blackman. Going back to him real quickly, he didn't have that bad of a rookie season. Uh, he had 64 catches for 865 yards, but 236 of those yards came in one game. So <laughs> take out that game, and in the other 15 games, he he had uh, barely over 600 yards. So not exactly the huge threat that um, the Jaguars were hoping to get. Is it because of Blackman and his um, you know, slow development, or is it because he doesn't have a great quarterback or, or many other pieces around him on offense? It's tough really to tell. Uh, but um, this, this is, uh, it's going to be a slow rebuilding pro- pro- uh, process in Jacksonville, um, we'll see how Gabbert progresses. I think if he has to get better in his third year to keep his job. He doesn't have to take the Jaguars to the playoffs or anything like that. But I do think he has to show signs of improvement in order to, to um, stay the future in Jacksonville. And um, anything is an improvement over last year, really. But I, I really think that they need to um, get up to four or five wins this year and then, and then up to eight and eight, maybe the year, the next year, and then become a playoff team. They're really three or four years away from becoming a playoff contender. Now, moving on to something that I would think normally would really take the, the background, um, or, or not get the top, uh, attention, um, by any, uh, sports, sporting news program, but you know it's the off season. It's it's a little bit um, quiet. But um, this is huge news, I think, for the NFL and the St. Louis Rams. The organization that runs the Edward Jones Dome, where the Rams play, made it official that the facility will not get publicly funded the seven hundred million dollars that the San- St. Louis Rams requested. 
So what does that mean? That means that the Rams could break their lease with the Dome after the 2014 season, which ultimately means that the Rams could be searching for a new home, um, not in St. Louis, outside of St. Louis. And I, I think this is even bigger news because of all the talk about um, a team moving to London. And the Rams were one of those teams that uh, the, the league has talked about moving to um, across the Atlantic. Jacksonville being another one of those teams. Minnesota being a team. But Minnesota last year, I believe it was last summer, got um, the new stadium um, from from the city of Minneapolis. So they're going to be staying. And they, I think it really helps um, the fan base and, and everything when you make the playoffs. And the Vikings are coming off a playoff uh, playoff run, playoff appearance. The Rams and Jaguars are two teams that are not really anywhere close to the playoffs. Jacksonville, we just talked about, is not. The Rams are a little closer, but not, not, they're not very good, and they haven't been in the playoffs in a long time. So this, I think, is really, really big. I, I think Roger Goodell, to be honest, is licking his chops. I mean, he's probably happy about this because I think he really wants to expand the league overseas and that I'll, I will not get into that, and that discussion could go on for a very long time, and we don't have uh, the time today. But we, we can talk later about um, a team moving to London. I've written articles and talked about it before in our show uh, last year. But um, real quickly, I still don't think a team in London is the best idea. I've spent a lot of time in London, um, and I just don't think there's the the fan support to have a team play there all the time. I think it's actually kind of cool that they're having um, more games there. It's it's kind of interesting that you know maybe they can get to the point where they have a game a week there and different teams play. But I really don't think they can support um, a team in London. But we'll see. Um, it, it it is getting uh, it is catching a little bit of fire over there. So it it is getting um, a little bit more popular, more popular than you think. I will say that. So this is uh, important news uh, for Ram fans, for people of St. Louis, and really of the NFL uh, that have any interest in the Rams staying in St. Louis or if you're rooting for a team moving to London. We're going to take a quick break. Thank goodness we've gone back to the oldies. Here's another one from the Beach Boys. She's real fine, my 409. She's real fine, my 409, my 409. Well, I saved my pennies and I saved my dimes. Giddy up, giddy up, 409. Welcome back to Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle. I'm your host, Dave Holcomb. We're going to go to our fourth and long segment. Get ready for me to get a little angry today. I found um, some articles on our website, footballnation.com, and um, actually some of them today have really gotten me going. I will, I will say that nicely. So um, here we go. Let's get to it. Um, this new author that I discovered, I really like the two articles that he's written, Mick Warshaw. Um, he wrote an article that I'm going to reference later, so I'll save that one. But the one that I'm going to talk about right now, the anti-clutch, the NFL's 10 worst crunch time players. Now, I'm not going to say all 10 because I encourage you to check out 
the article and comment about it and you know say what you agree and disagree with like just like me. Um, but number 10, Ben Roethlisberger is number 10. All right, uh, and I know, Mick, first of all, you, you talk about in your opening and in your intro about how clutch player for you is somebody who wins playoff games and plays well in the playoffs. And I know that you say that you're breaking your own rule by having Roethlisberger number 10, but I just, why? Why? <laughs> why is Big Ben number 10? I just can't believe that he would even be on the list at all or even in the discussion. It doesn't make any sense to me. He has two Super Bowl rings. Yeah, he's played on some great teams, but hasn't every quarterback that's won the Super Bowl? He has a third appearance in the in the Super Bowl. Yes, I, I will say he has not shined in playoff time in, in the Super Bowls that he's played in. Um, in 14 playoff games, he's only thrown three touchdowns or more in a game once, um, which you reference in your stat um, or in, in your article. Um, but then you go on to explain that, you know, the two Super Bowl wins that he got were because of the referees. You basically imply that. And just, come on, man. Have we, can we put the hatchet away from the Seahawks Super Bowl, please? The only reason why anybody brings up those referees is because Mike Holmgren was a crybaby. He was a crybaby after that Super Bowl. He was crying so much, his glasses got foggy, and his mustache, his walrus mustache, was wet. Can just The guy was really, uh, really classless after that Super Bowl loss, blaming the referees. The referees had a bad day. That was the worst officiated Super Bowl I think I've ever seen. Maybe of all time. But it was bad on both sides. Nobody remembers the the bad um, holding penalty or the, the possible fumble that the Steelers recovered, but they gave it back to the Seahawks. Nobody remembers that because the Steelers won the game. Now, if the Seahawks ended up winning, who knows? Maybe we'd be arguing that they gave the Super Bowl to the Seahawks. I think that you could because it was that poorly of an officiated game. And to say that the referees apologized for screwing over the Seahawks, just come on, man. It's it was to be quite honest, the, the the catch in the end zone, it was it was an offensive pass interference. He pushed off. He pushed off. In my opinion. You'll have many other guys, um, I would say, that would think he didn't push off. Um, I'm, I'm, re- I'm referencing a play in the Super Bowl that was pretty critical, um, a tight end. Uh, his name is slipping me right now from the Seahawks that um, pushed off. I believe it was Ike Taylor in the back of the end zone. He caught the ball, but they, they called it a, a, a offensive pass interference, and then the, the Seahawks ended up turning the ball over, if I remember my sequence of, of events correctly. But be quite honest, the Steelers dominated that Super Bowl. It was it was a kind of boring game, but they held the number one offense in the league that year. Remember Matt Hasselbeck, Sean Alexander, the number one offense that year to ten points. It was a pretty good performance by yes by not Ben Roethlisberger, but um, Ben made enough plays to win the game. And in the next Super Bowl, which I'm not even going to get into your argument about James Harrison's knee being down, <laughs> 
he was <laughs> I, I'm, I'm assuming you just don't like the Steelers very much, which is okay. Um, but uh, I think he was it was pretty clear that he was in the end zone on that play. Um, ben drove the Steelers down in one of the most memorable Super Bowl drives in the history of the Super Bowl. I'm not even gonna say of recent memory, which I think definitely of recent memory, but of all time. Roethlisberger's drive is right up there, I think, with Joe Montana's drive against the Bengals in 88 in Super Bowl XXII. It's not as good, and because just basically because Ben Roethlisberger is not as good as Joe Montana. But, man, that was – and it was a beautiful catch. The catch and throw was even harder than the 49ers um, catch and throw, which is a very memorable play in its own right. So to exactly to say that Roethlisberger isn't clutch, is anti-clutch, I, I don't know what else to say. I'm just going to leave in silence. Uh, okay, let's move on to something that uh, doesn't anger me quite as much. Um, we seem to reference Justin Henry and his slideshows and articles every week. He, this guy is making absolutely great stuff. Um, he wrote another article, sli- a slideshow, ranking the quarterback classes 1970 through 2012. So he, he ranked every single quarterback class um, from each year, which I think is just unbelievable. It must have taken him a lot of time with research and ranking the players and then finding out the biggest busts and coming up with pictures for every slide. Uh, great work, Justin. Um, and I, I think it's probably pretty easy to figure out who is number one Oh, I just realized that this is the fourth and long segment, and I forgot to say a statement in the in the first discussion. I got so upset about uh, Roethlisberger being called anti-clutch that uh, I um, I forgot to say that I'm punting it away. I'm punting away that uh, Roethlisberger is the tenth anti-clutch player, whatever that means, um, in the league. Okay, moving on. Um, so I think it's pretty easy to to for any really big. Uh, Football fans to to probably just off the top of your head pick the the very top quarterback class, um, but it, but it is very interesting to analyze the other forty two or forty one however many there are, um, and at number three this 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 is going to be kind of interesting uh, statement. Go with me for a little bit here. The number three ranked quarterback class is two thousand four. Staying with Ben Roethlisberger, Roethlisberger, Eli Manning, Philip Rivers, Matt Schaub, and J.P. Lossman are the top five quarterbacks of that class, according to Justin Henry. Um, you think Henry thinks that Ben Roethlisberger is anti-clutch? He's got him ranked ahead of Eli Manning. Anyway, um, so my statement. By the time Roethlisberger, Manning, Rivers, and these guys retire, Schaub... This class will be ranked number two behind who Henry has at number one. You've got to check out his article to see what's at one. Um, but this class will be ranked number two. I'm going to agree. I'm going to grunt on fourth down here. I, I, it's, it's hard to really go against these guys right now. I mean, Eli's got two. Ben's got two and three appearances. So they got five appearances between these guys. I think Phillip Rivers is going to get an appearance or a Super Bowl title at some point. Um, you kind of hope that he does because he's had some good years in San Diego. 
And Matt Schaub is somebody that you think that at some point that he might as well. Uh, I think what Rivers and Schaub have against them, though, is they're in the AFC. We've talked about on our show how I think the NFC is better now, and it's going to be hard for an AFC team to win, although we saw the Ravens win last year. So it's it's not impossible. Um, but I, I think Rivers and Schaub have great chances, really, of especially Schaub um, at this point um, of winning the Super Bowl. And who, who, you can't count out Roethlisberger and Manning winning another one. So we could see these guys who already have five appearances. I wouldn't be surprised if we see this class get eight, nine Super Bowl appearances, maybe uh, five or six victories. So this is one of the top classes. I don't think it's going to overtake number one, but I think it has a really good chance in 10 years to be number two. Of course, one of the top uh, quarterback classes last year where Henry – Check out his article to see where he has uh, Luck, Wilson, and RG3's class. Although it's a little early to really judge um, completely where it's going to land. But that that's an, another interesting uh, quarterback class. Come back in 10 years or so, and we'll be discussing where they will be on uh, the top uh, quarterback classes. And for the last fourth and long segment, uh, question slash statement, we're going to an article by Michael Grabowski. I think he's appeared on our uh, our show uh, before as an article. I'm going to get a little wild up again. Um, he ranks the top, or I should say, bottom seven teams in the league. Um, and I'm not going to get into those seven. I don't want to list them because I want you to check out his article. Um, but I'm going to... There, there were some teams missing from the bottom seven uh, that I really disagree with. And he listed the bottom seven, and then he listed four teams under the not-too-terrible teams category. And one of those teams was the Cleveland Browns. And, you know what, let's throw it a minute. Let's throw in the Buffalo Bills, too. Cleveland Browns and Buffalo Bills were two of the four not-too-terrible teams. Okay, that's my statement. I'm punting that away. (laughs) Just based on the history... Cleveland Browns, I know that Ron Jaworski this week came out and said he thought Brandon Whedon had tools to be a good, um, or great, I think he used the word great, um, NFL quarterback. We'll see. Um, I I, I trust Jaws' judgment. I think he's a very good analyst of quarterbacks. Uh, He can be a little obnoxious at times, but he's he's one of the best football analysts I've ever heard. And so I, I completely respect his opinion, but I just don't they're the Cleveland Browns I just can't see them um becoming a good you know a good um or a playoff perennial team especially in that division um somebody's got to come down a notch and you've we've seen Cincinnati go up Pittsburgh and Baltimore are coming back a little bit we've talked about this a lot in our show in the first two couple weeks this season but um Baltimore I mean the Baltimore just won the Super Bowl so they're going to be in it again this year. I think Pittsburgh is going to be in it too, and along with Cincinnati, it's a three-team race. Cleveland is going to fall by the wayside. It's just it's going to happen. Buffalo, man, Buffalo I think is probably in one of the bottom seven teams as well. I just don't think unless um, – I was going to say unless they get their quarterback situation under control, but they <laughs> – they, they they drafted EJ Manuel and have uh, 
in my opinion, uh, a coach that wasn't even that good in the, in college. He was an average coach in college at an average conference in the Big East. So um, <laughs> I'm not too up high on the Bills either. But real quickly, sorry to rip you apart, Mike. Um, it, it was a, it was a good article. I just don't agree with all of your your teams. Um, one other thing, I I cannot believe. You basically listed what you thought were the 11 worst teams in the league, and you didn't include Kansas City. Kansas City, they had the number one pick this year. They had won two games last year. They didn't have a lead in a game until like week 10, and they didn't make the bottom 11 teams in the league. What are they, 12? The 12th worst team? Like, Sorry, I, I just I I am I will say that I have a lot, I, mean, I have expectations for Kansas City this this year. Um, they um, I think are going to be a lot better with Andy Reid and uh, Alex Smith, presumably starting a quarterback. But but come on, based on their performance last year and where the team is right now, I mean you you had the Philadelphia Eagles on the list, and that I think has to do with where that where they were last year and and the new head coach and and somewhat so why isn't Kansas City on it that's that's just me all right we'll take one more quick break and then we're going to come back I'll reference and compliment uh, my buddy uh, Mick Warsaw this time rather than uh, arguing with him and especially when he can't argue back (laughs) kind of unfair for Mick Um, I just you know rip him apart and uh he can't answer though uh i'm the one with the podcast i guess so um and so we'll take a break come back with mix uh, other article and then wrap up today's show Here on Football Nation's Monday Morning Huddle, your host, Dave Holcomb. Once again, you can reach me on Twitter, D-M-H-O-L-C-O-M-B. Email me, HolcombMDavid at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook, Dave's Football News. Thanks for listening, everybody. One last article, shout out to Mick Warsaw again. I promise I'm not going to argue with you this time. Um, Snubbed. The all-time not Hall of Fame team is another great one from Mick. Uh, He goes through uh, the defense and an offense, picks a a player not in the Hall of Fame um, to play at each position. So it's the best team that he could come up with of players not in the Hall of Fame. Now, these players have to be eligible for the Hall of Fame. So guys like Brett Favre do not count or Heinz Ward, for instance, um, somebody that uh, recently just retired but hasn't been eligible enough to be in the Hall of Fame um, would not qualify. So um, check that out. I think uh, it really interesting, and it bring, he brings up names that uh, were really – he even picks uh, coaches and um, coordinators to run the team. So that, that was really interesting, and it's great to talk about these, guys, these great players that um, maybe just aren't quite good enough – to make the Hall of Fame, or you could argue really should be in the Hall of Fame, and it's kind of unjust that they're not. So I would encourage checking out that one from Mick. That's all we have for today's show. 
I hope everybody had a great 4th of July. I did. Uh, Until next time, I'm going to go try and find some peace in my mind. You know, it's true. You know, you're-